Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, a Rate Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Libby Fisher-Hellman. Libby has written a number of mystery series as well as some historical fiction and short stories, so we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing from her. A really cool lady with some great things to say. Before we get to Libby, though, I do need to let you know that Wrong Place Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If this is something you think you might like, check out their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. All right, let's dive straight into my interview with Libby Fisher-Hellman. Well, hi, Libby. Welcome to the show. Hey, Frank. It's really nice to be here. Well, uh, we were talking before we went on air, just that, uh, you know, we both have a a similar approach to uh, our careers at this point. Uh, You are uh, an independent author. You are the CEO of your own, (laughs) of your own destiny. Has that always been the case or is that something you've transitioned to more recently? Yeah, I transitioned to it. It's, it's been a very gradual transition Um, of the 18 books. 10 were traditionally published to begin with. And the, and eight were, um, indie published. And so the indie content is catching up to the traditional content. But I did, I was very lucky to get all the rights to my traditional novels uh, back. In fact, I have the, um, I have a reputation of closing down publishing houses. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Which means that three of my publishers closed down after I submitted the book. Well, that's that's um, that's one more one more uh, correlation between our careers. Then I've I've seen <laughs> I've seen more than a few publishers die, and it's I, after like three, you start to wonder if you're the problem. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I did. No, I don't think I was, but you know, I, I if meant I me. Was, oh, oh, oh! No, I don't think you are either. My um, imprint is the Red Herrings Press. That's a cool idea for a mystery. Yeah, it, it, it isn't working so well since I wrote my first straight historical novel that's not a mystery and not a thriller. <laughs> but who cares? <laughs> well, I do want to talk about that because really I think you could divide your writing into four broad categories. And feel free to disagree with me. But from the outside looking in, there's the Ellie Foreman series. And we'll touch on that in a moment. And then there's the Georgia Davis series. And that has a book here coming out uh, just right right now, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have some standalone historical thrillers. And of course, then there are short stories. And so when I was looking at your CV, looking at your catalog, that's kind of how they broke out for me. Do you think that's fair? Mm-hmm. I think you're you're right on. Uh, the only distinction I would make is that within the historical books, four are thrillers, and uh, one of them is more of a saga. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I wrote it as a, mm-hmm. yeah, which ironically I think is probably the best book I've ever written and <laughs> will write, and it isn't a mystery or a thriller. <laughs> well, maybe the mystery lovers that uh, love all your mysteries that'll be what you know brings them to. I that hope book. so. 
You know what? The interesting thing about that was I wrote it as if it was a mystery and a thriller. I used all of the suspense techniques and and all of the um, techniques to keep a reader focused and and not be able to put the book down. So I think that really helped. All of all of those years of writing suspense really helped a bend in the river. But I was able to kind of relax and take the characters, you know, down different alleys, back alleys that, you know, you just don't have time for, or the pacing isn't quite right when you're writing thrillers and mysteries. I, I could afford to let them go a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rules were a little relaxed in, in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in your background, you have a very interesting background. Um, if, if somebody said prior to becoming a, an author, what did you do? If you had like 60 seconds to explain that to someone, how, how <laughs> is it even possible? Cause you don't, you've done a lot. Sure. Sure. I, I, um, I would say that I've reinvented myself four times and they all have to do in some way with communication and language just different aspects of them and different tasks associated with, with each one. And then if you want to go below that headline, I, I would tell you all the different things that I've done. But I did start out in broadcast news um, with a, you know, armed with my M- MFA from NYU. At the time, I thought I was going to be a filmmaker. And right off into the sunset, um, like Lena Wertmiller did with, with what's his name? Um, uh, Anto- was it Antonioni? No, it wasn't Antonioni. It was the other guy. Uh, anyway, see, I, I'm getting old. I can't even remember the other Italian filmmaker. Who was. Fellini? But anyway, <laughs> yes. Thank you, Federico Fellini. God, I hate it when that happens. But um, that didn't work. And I needed to survive. And I wasn't the type of person to starve in a garret while I was writing the great American screenplay. So I started to work in news, which I loved anyway, because I studied history in college and I was big on the patterns of history and how we repeat them. And maybe we change one little fact or somebody changes one little fact, but it's basically we do the same stupid things over and over again since man has stopped crawling on all fours. And maybe maybe we should go back to that. Maybe that was easier. But anyway, yeah, history is fascinating. That my BA is in history as well, and and huh. I, I'm not too into politics these days because for a variety of reasons. But I've always felt like you know politics is essentially history of the present, and and people don't really recognize that because you're right, we do make the same mistakes. We don't learn from history like we should, or we learn the wrong things, or we don't learn enough. I mean, it's you know the litany of our exactly. errors is, is long. Um, so eventually you came to writing though. Um, Mm -hmm. and your first series was the Ellie Foreman series with an eye for murder being that first book. So how did, how did, how did this heroine come to, to (laughs) uh, long story, but going back, um, that wasn't the first book I wrote that Ellie, that Ellie Foreman and I for murder was the fourth book I'd wrote written. I started writing, long time ago. And the first book was a piece of whatever garbage, and it's going to stay that way. I tried to rewrite it like five years after I was published. and It was was too bad even for me to try to rewrite. But on the second book, I got an agent. And the agent was a New York agent, and he kind of liked the characters, and he wanted to sell it. 
And I said, wow, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hot stuff here. You know, I got an agent with my second book. And six months later, I was seeing the rejection letters come in. And he finally gives me a call and he says, you know, uh, Lib, uh, we haven't done so well on these submissions. I said, yeah, I know. But, 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 don't, but don't worry. I have a third book and it's great and it's much sharper and the writing's better and the ca characters are, are more nuanced. And, and he interrupts me and he says, you know something, I think you need to change your writing and I think you need to change your voice and I think you need to change your characters and I think you need to change your style and I think you need to change agents because I don't want to represent you anymore. Oh, That's a bad call. <laughs> <laughs> that was not a great call. That was not a great day. I was still drinking then. So you can imagine, you know, the bottles of wine lined up in the kitchen. If but, you weren't, um, it would have been a good day to start. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, when I survived, when I, when I got over it, I actually did take his advice and I started writing something that was much, much closer to home. I wrote about a, a filmmaker, a video producer, which is what I was doing at the time, who had a daughter, which I have, who lived in the suburbs, which I do. And, um, I played the what if game. What if she got involved in a murder that wasn't her fault? And so Ellie Foreman, the amateur sleuth, was born. And um, I had somebody edit it before I submitted it. And it was picked up in like eight weeks. Penguin picked it up for a three book deal. And there I was. So I was like uh, Cinderella, but five years in the making. So that took five years, but that's okay. Cause I went back to the ashes <laughs> several times during the past 25 years. Well, how many I've seen one, two, three, four, five, six. LA yes. There are six. There are now six. There are now six and there will be more because the sixth one was a transition book from Ellie to her daughter. Mm. Her daughter was 12 years old when the series started and now she's in her early thirties. Oh, wow. And everybody ages, except for yeah. Ellie, of course. And her daughter now has, having gone to the police academy and dropped out, and now has a boyfriend who's who's a, a computer whiz programmer, ethical hacker. She's kind of interested in getting getting involved in all of that. And Ellie's thrilled because, you know, Ellie's kind of, you know, she's she's getting old now and she doesn't really want to run around too much, but she can certainly be an advisor. Those series that people choose to write with aging, I mean, you know, because there are some of our peers write long series that, you know, take place in a, you know, 12 books in a two year time period, you know, in terms of right. characters. Um, I like the journey that characters take both as the writer. I've had fun with that and, and as the reader and, and seeing Ellie's daughter kind of take the baton and move right. forward is, is pretty cool. Well, you know, you have to you have to shake up your series after a while. Mm -hmm. I shook up both series. The first Ellie with having her daughter come in and the most recent the sixth one in the Georgia Davis series is the one that just came out. It's called Double Blind, and I shook that one up I shook that one up at the end too. A recurring character who I absolutely adored. I had to kill him off. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you, I'm not going to tell you who it was. It was just someone that I, I just had a real soft spot in my heart for. And when when, when I was crying when I had to do it, isn't that? I funny? literally was. I know. Yeah. I, I, I experienced the same thing. Uh, uh, again, I won't spoil it, but a beloved 
I would say secondary character, part of the ensemble. But when he died, I, I was crying when I typed it. I was crying when I edited it. My wife cried when I gave it to her. I'm like, well, I, I must have done something right, right? If I'm yeah. having this emotional reaction to it. Um, well, I hope other people do because I, <laughs> I did, you know. I, oh. What kind of person is Ellie Foreman? Um, she is very hard on herself, but she does have a dry sense of humor. She's also got a very sharp sense of justice. When she sees um, an injustice being done, she wants to march with her banners and, and, and try to right it. And Georgia is similar to that, but she marches with her gun. <laughs> well, that's an excellent transition. So yeah, Georgia Davis is in Chicago though, right? That's a different setting. So is Ellie. Oh, Ellie is as so well. So is Ellie. Okay. Well, she's in the suburbs of Chicago and, uh, and Georgia kind of is too. She's in Evanston, which is right next door to mm -hmm. the Chicago border. Mm -hmm. But uh, most of both of their cases take place down in Chicago. So, and so how is Georgia similar and different from Ellie? Georgia... It, when we first meet her in Easy Innocence, which was her first book, actually, she had a big role in the third Ellie Foreman book. They've known each other for years. And I knew at that during that third book that Georgia was going to have her own series one day, but I just didn't know who, when, or how. And um, that happened with Easy Innocence. It was the perfect vehicle for Georgia. Georgia was a cop. She was a cop up here in the northern suburbs of Chicago for about eight or nine years. She was ambitious. Um, and through a procedural mistake that she made, she was suspended. And while she was suspended, she hung out a shingle as a PI and she got a murder case and she cracked it and decided, hey, I might be able to make a living this way. I wanted to be a detective anyway. So she didn't go back to the force, but she has, like you, she has the knowledge of law enforcement, which I don't have, but I pretend that I do, or I make sure <laughs> I talk to someone who does, and the added, you know, imagination of and observational skills to be a detective. But she is a loner. When we first meet her, her boyfriend has dumped her. She's living by herself. She was abandoned by her mother when she was 12. Um, as her father died, uh, where Ellie will go out to lunch with you and give you TMI about her life. Georgia won't go out to lunch with you at all. She's very <laughs> cautious. She's very cautious. She's guarded. She has, you know, she um, doesn't like strangers. She doesn't like people uh, very much. And she's got baggage. So that's the difference between her. And then, and the arc of Georgia was just obvious from that first book. Through, the, through six books, her life has totally changed. And I'm not going to tell you how, because readers will want to discover that on their own. But I'm very pleased with where Georgia is right now. And I'm, uh, I'm okay with leaving her alone while I go ahead and write another historical. Mm -hmm. And then write another Ellie or another Rachel. That's yeah. what I, I don't know if you do the same thing, mm -hmm. but I like to switch off. You know, I, I, I'm kind of like, first I'll write an Ellie book, then I'll write a Georgia book, then I'll write a historical. And the same, yeah. and I go around, around, around. Keeps it fresh. Looks like one of them, uh, she gets to Washington, D.C., based on the cover anyway. Yes, she does. The one before this, High Crimes. She, there's a few. That's where I grew up, by the mm -hmm. way. I'm originally from D.C., which, of course, when you're sitting down to dinner and talking about the neighbors, you're talking politics. Mm -hmm. So... 
Georgia had a few scenes in Washington where she had to go in this case. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, she'll never go back there again. <laughs> neither, neither will I. Uh, Double Blind is the newest one in that series. And yeah. is that a transitional one as well? Is that what you're saying before? Um, not really. The challenge there was that I had two stories that I really thought both of them had legs. And one of them was COVID. And uh, one of them had to do with fundamentalist Mormons. And everybody told me, don't write about COVID. Please don't write about it. Even my editors said, don't write about COVID. Nobody wants to hear about it. We're going through it. And I'm like, uh-huh, okay, fine. And I wrote about COVID. But, um, <laughs> and then I, I knew that the fundamentalist Mormon one was going to be a really interesting story too. So I decided to combine them. The challenge was how, should, how do they link up? And, they, and I absolutely did not want to link them up in a way that's been done before. Like, you know, it, 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 the Mormon angle involves a fundamentalist wife who's escaping from her abusive husband. And she has an uncanny resemblance to Georgia. And um, Georgia gets mixed up with her and... You know, everyone was saying, oh, I'll bet they're related at the end, and I'll bet they're cousins, or they're maybe another sister, or whatever. And no, <laughs> they're not related. It's just coincidence. You know, everybody's got a doppelganger. Deal with it. Um, so I did. And it, and it turned out that the link was Georgia herself, because she was working both the cases. And the COVID one, I, I, I stayed away from any sob stories about COVID, and I took a much more arcane, probably uh, boring aspect, which served my needs at the time, which was how the vaccine was distributed and transported so that it ended up in our arms. Um, how did it, who did it? How, how was it done? What was the chance that anybody could get to the vaccine en route and, and things like that? So it was really not people oriented. Um, it was much more, you know, here's how the system works or doesn't work because of course no one really wanted to tell me. The manufacturers didn't want to tell me how they distributed it and the distributors didn't really want to tell me. Actually, the only place that I got good information aside from a couple of articles was the Chicago Department of Public Health. So there. So who, bureaucracy isn't useless. There we go. <laughs> Well, at some point in the future, that's going to read a little bit like a, an historical book. Um, yeah, I which, hope so. Which is fitting because you've got uh, almost a half dozen here. Uh, yeah. If you count the one you're working on, you do have a half dozen uh, historical novels. And so I was wondering if you'd tell me a little bit about those because they're not – I mean, that's really what they have in common is that they're all – historical there there there's not an overall theme you're not writing about no. oh yes there is oh well please enlighten me then the the um the common theme is revolution <clears throat> and all of them to some degree deal with an an internal revolution in the country uh, that uh, where it's set or major major conflict that should, might lead should, to a revolution. I should have seen that. That's, I mean, you got the and set the well, set the night on fire is the late '60s, mm -hmm. which is as close as we came to a revolution until our friend Mr. Trump, which wasn't a revolution, that was a coup, 
Um, and then uh, a bitter veil was the Iranian revolution and an American girl that's trapped in the middle of it. Havana Lost was three generations of mafia, f- mafia family who wanted to get largesse from Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, four was World War II. That was three novellas that I mashed together in a, into a collection. That was War Spies and Bobby Socks. And then number five was the Vietnam War, Bend in the River. Well, that is an interesting through thread. And honestly, I, I'm a little embarrassed I didn't catch that. I mean, because I didn't look at the descriptions of these books. I, I mean, I love history and we all have our areas that we focus on. And my areas of deep focus aren't on any of the areas that you've written about here. But I have a, an interest in all of it because it's all the it's it's human drama being played out. And the only difference really between that and fiction is that this in some fashion actually happened. And of course it's being filtered through the perspectives of whoever told us, I mean, I'm big into ancient history. And so that point rings out quite frequently that, you know, you have to temper everything you read from Tacitus, you know, with, you know, when he wrote it and what his viewpoint was. And so you can't necessarily believe that face value, everything he wrote, that doesn't mean some semblance of it didn't happen. We don't have quite as much problem with that the closer we get to modern times. But I mean, you yeah. only, you look at a newspaper, depending on what side of the fence they're on, you get a very different description of what happened at oh, yeah. a particular event, you know, and so it's still going on. Yeah. Um, I And I, I'm the opposite from you because I like modern history or recent history. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go back beyond the 20th century. I may at some point still but the next one is back to World War II, a very different story. Do you know about the Ritchie boys, the German Jewish nationals who came over to fight for the U.S. Army? And because they were fluent in German language and had actually gotten out of Germany, they were trained at a special camp called Camp Ritchie in Maryland. They were trained to be POW interrogators and spies. And they were all dropped behind German lines right around D-Day and um, stayed there for a year. And they ended up being responsible for more than 60% of German troop movements during the last few years of the war, as well as interrogations of POWs, of German POWs. So they they, they gathered the intel on on those movements? That's what you're saying? They, that's what they did. Wow. And it turns that my ex late father-in-law or my late ex father-in-law, whatever, however you want to say it was one. Oh, wow. And, and I was never ready to deal with his story, but I am now. So you'll be writing a fictional account, uh, but you'll be drawing on a primary historical source yeah. to do so. That's yeah. pretty cool. But see, the thing is he never would talk about it. And the only thing I have, and, and then um, my ex-husband died, so he doesn't have anything. But his brother, uh, his younger brother, Jerry, is still around. And he actually has more stories than my ex-husband had. So I've got about, I've got some vignettes that I can use. to, But the story itself is going to be actually going to be more of a romance than anything. It's going to be a war, war story romance uh, with two different women and one man. And it's going to be an interesting story if I ever get it off the ground. <laughs> it sounds like it. It's all in my head. It's all there. But I need a lot of details on Like it, it, it's going to open. Uh, my ex-father-in-law as a child was from a very affluent family. 
And he had his own pony and carriage in Regensburg, which is sort of in the south of Germany. And of course, you know, everything went to, sh uh, am, I, am I allowed to say that? Anyway, everything went bad when the Nazis came in and then you, and yeah, Nazis uh, are they, yeah, and then they had to, they had to run to Holland. They thought that as did a lot of Jews, they thought that the Dutch were going to protect them, which did not happen. So, but I'm going to open it with the pony. And so I've been like look, trying to find a pony's name in German for the past three days. <laughs> Shifting gears slightly, though, uh, to that fourth piece of your writing that I mentioned earlier, uh, and that is short stories. You've had 25 short stories published in a variety of uh, venues, and you have gathered those together, or many of those together, into a very cleverly uh, titled collection <laughs> called Nice Girl Does Noir. I think that's pretty <laughs> Pretty clever, and I love the cover. I love the, 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 the kind of 40 style woman yeah. on the cover it's really uh thank you uh, very intriguing I, I'm, I'm one one of these days when i'm when i'm free <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna put more stories in there i've got about 10 more stories that should go in there there's 15 in there now right. and i've got like eight or nine at least that i should open it up and uh expand it and have a second edition and mm -hmm. treat it like a whole new book which i, I will do do you find that writing short stories is you have the same approach as when you're writing a novel or do you have a completely different approach? Uh, boy, it's pretty much the same, but it's on a smaller scale. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't write about a war, mm -hmm. you know, 10 years of a war that just, I could write about a battle. I could write about a scene or something, mm -hmm. but, but it has to stay small. And that's the biggest difference is it's got to be scaled down. Um, but the writing is very much the same, except that at the end, you usually have a twist of some sort. And, um, you know, I've written myself into plenty of corners <laughs> where I've had to write out and, and so I can get a twist. But, Nobody but puts Libby in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. Good movie, too. The other thing about short stories is that, you know, I find satisfying because I didn't write short stories for like a decade. I was, I started on short stories and I kind of started writing novels and short stories. And then for some reason, everything was at least a novella for a good yeah. decade. When I finally got back to writing short stories again, it was that sense of completion that you get from a short story. And it happens so rapidly in comparison to a book. You've, you've finished the creation and that doesn't happen in two sittings with a book. No, that certainly doesn't. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea too. I mean, I could, I would spend at the most six weeks on a short story, but not all day or all time, all the time. Well, what is next? The Richie Boys story is mm -hmm. next, mm -hmm. and then I'll probably um, go back to Ellie and Rachel and figure out what's going to happen in their lives. So, yeah. Well, there's you know, a lot of fun always... there in both of those uh, projects. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the Richie boys one scares me because I'm really getting into, um, there's this wonderful nonfiction book that was written about them called Sons and Soldiers by a guy out your way. Well, actually he's in LA or no, he's in Menlo Park. So he's in North, Northern California. And I, you know, it was so cinematic the way he wrote it that I'm afraid how am I going to use it for <laughs> research? You know, I'm going to end up taking whole paragraphs from him. So. That's one one thing, um, but I do have to get some more research done. And they're you know they're pretty much all dead now, and um, 
I don't know. I'll figure it. Of course you will. I usually do. I will say that World War II, much like the Civil War, much like trains and guns, are all topics that have their uh, a slew of experts and enthusiasts, and they are the kind of folks that will not hesitate to let you know if you've made a mistake. So, Absolutely. So I can understand why you find it a little bit daunting in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think the, and the World War II made, made a comeback in the past 10 years. I mean, everybody's still writing about World War II. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it was the last war we fought where there were good guys and bad guys. Mm-hmm. It, they were clearly delineated and we were on the side of the good guys. I think that's a fair statement. Well, it sounds like you got a couple of great projects on the horizon. I have to tell you, I was looking forward to talking to you, and I'm really glad that I got well, you on the show. I want to say thanks. Thank you for asking. Um, I'm I'm delighted to to do it, and um, you ask great questions. So, <laughs> thanks. All right, there you are, folks. You can see why I enjoyed that conversation, Libby Fisher Hellman. A couple of different uh, mystery series for you there and some fascinating historical pieces. We didn't actually talk about A Bend in the River, which is interesting to me because uh, when we spoke at Left Coast Crime and when I went tended her panel, uh, that topic came up a lot. Uh, but that book, A Bend in the River, uh, is about two sisters in Vietnam during the American phase of the Vietnam War. Uh, one of whom fought for the Viet Cong and one of them who didn't. And their parallel journeys and different experiences are explored uh, in this book, uh, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, has won an award. So you might want to check that out in addition to her other historical fiction and her mysteries, Libby Fisher-Hellman. Now, next episode on Wrong Place, Right Crime, we are going to talk to Gavin Reese. Gavin writes uh, crime fiction and also hosts the podcast Writers on the Beat. Like myself, he has a background in law enforcement, and I expect you will will feel a little bit like you're sitting quietly as the third person at the bar while we're chatting next week. Uh, It's not a bad place to be. So that's next week. Gavin Reese on Wrong Place, Right Crime. Quick Zafiro update for you. Last Friday, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, Wednesday the 20th of April 2022, the Tattered Blue Line, Short Stories of Contemporary Policing, became available on the 15th, and uh, it is available digitally and in paperback. This is an anthology of short stories made up of law enforcement professionals, uh, but it is a very diverse group. And when I say diverse, I mean it in pretty much every way you can use the word. Age, uh, race, gender, nationality, civilian versus commissioned, uh, law enforcement experience, type of agency that, that the person worked for, the type of work they did at that agency. And you could, could, you could continue to list differences and we'd be here a while. Uh, the point was to get stories that were a slice of humanity from each of these authors that really showed what it was like to do the job while also showing the humanity of those people that they come across while doing the job. I think it's been a very successful. There are uh, some great stories in here that, that, that are really worth reading if that's the kind of thing you're looking for, in addition to just being a great crime story. So uh, the Tattered Blue Line, Short Stories of Contemporary Policing, Pick it up, give it a read. 
I also want to tease a couple of releases coming up uh, in May. On May 1st, a new episode of a Grifter song will drop. And I'll tell you what that is uh, next episode. But uh, you can still pick up Concrete and Cocaine by Vincent Zandri. That's the most recent episode of a Grifter song from Down and Out Books. Uh, and it is a hard-boiled romp, a uh, very uh, edgy take on Sam and Rachel. So that's uh, definitely worth your time. Vincent Zandri's Concrete and Cocaine. And then in the second week of May, uh, a new Charlie 316 novel is coming out. And I'll tell you more about that on a future episode. So tease, tease, tease. I won't tease you about uh, next week. That is going to be Gavin Reese, as I mentioned. So uh, come on back and uh, give that a listen. Meanwhile, I want to say thanks to Libby for coming on the show and being a great guest, as well as Down and Out Books for sponsoring the show. And as I say every single episode, and I truly mean it, Thank you, the listener, for being here, for taking the time to listen to this show and making it worthwhile to do. Until next time, this is Frank Zafiro, reminding you that sometimes you gotta be in the wrong place to write crime. Mm-hmm.